This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Thanks for being here today. Uh, I'm excited about our mini-series that we're in right now entitled Hope for the Holidays. If you've got your Bibles handy, turn to the book of Luke, chapter number one. Uh, if you've missed any of the messages so far, I want to encourage you to get caught up at our website at huikala.church. If you have the Huikala app uh, downloaded on the, the homepage of the app, there's a button that says Hope for the Holidays. Click that. It'll take you to today's message where you can actually click and fill in your notes on your device. If you want to type in your notes uh, on, through the Huikala app, feel free to do that. Take some really good notes. Grab a journal, sheet of paper, something to write on. But take some notes as we walk through this this morning. Last week, we took a look at hope, hope in God's promises where we really kind of uh, unpacked the covenants of the Bible uh, and talked about how we can know for sure that we have hope in God because he always keeps his promises. Somebody had a smart aleck comment about last Sunday's message, and they said this, Pastor, how can you take four weeks to talk about one verse in Philippians, but you spend one message to cover all five covenants of the Bible? Uh, I don't have an answer for that, but it was a good thought. Uh, but um, I don't have time to unpack all the covenants, and so I just did you a favor and got it all into one. Uh, today we're taking a look at uh, the Christmas story uh, and really how it relates to Mary, and, and I've entitled today's message, Hope and Obedience. And so uh, Luke chapter 1 is where we find ourselves this morning. Our family always is part of our Christmas tradition on Christmas morning before we ever open a first present. We always read the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2, and so I want to encourage you, if you don't have a Christmas tradition like that, I'd encourage you to start one this year. Uh, before we ever open the first present, we want all of our kids to know, uh, hey, look, this story is really about Jesus and what he's done for us, and uh, the gift that we received on that first Christmas morning was the gift of Jesus Christ, and so uh, keep the focus there. And so if you don't have a tradition like that of reading through Luke 2, I would highly encourage you to start that this year. Find ourselves in Luke uh, chapter 1. We're going to start in verse number 20, 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, again, if you have a study Bible and it has stars uh, depicting prophecy, this would be a filled-in star uh, over to the, in the column of your Bible showing that this is a prophecy that is now fulfilled. And so it was a promise that a virgin would carry the Christ child, now that prophecy being fulfilled in this verse here. And the angel came unto her and said to her, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at this saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and he shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age this sixth month with her who is also called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Verse 37 is a great promise from God's word. You should circle, star, underline. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, 
be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Mary rose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah. Mary's a unique figure in the Bible because uh, she has the opportunity to carry the Christ child. Now, we as Bible-believing Christians do not venerate Mary or hold her to a higher position than Scripture gives her. Uh, We definitely do not agree with Catholicism in that uh, Mary is the mother of God or the mother of the church or the co-redemptrix of mankind. We believe that Mary uh, was a vessel that was used uh, to carry uh, Jesus Christ into this world so that he could uh, be uh, born of a virgin, die for the sins of mankind, and rise again the third day victorious. Uh, Angela had the opportunity to go on a date night this past week, and we uh, went to a steakhouse, and I ordered a steak. It was a, a glorious prime, uh, not, not prime rib, but it was a New York strip steak that I got. Oh, it was so good. Uh, and I don't know about you, but, and if you don't like this, just keep it to yourself. I like my steak well done, like crispy on the top. Like almost where someone would say, this is too burnt, we shouldn't serve this. That's how I like my meat. How many people are with me? Yeah, we got three of you, four of you. Come on, that's what I'm talking about. Everybody else is just like, no. My son Vanderlei likes to put his in the microwave for about 10 seconds just to take the chill off of it and then dig into it. It is nasty. And so, uh, no, that's not how, that's not cooked. But this, this steak that came, it was a glorious steak. As it came out, it was still glistening. Uh, steam was rising off of it. The butter on the top of the steak was still melting into it. It was glorious. It was covered in some type of seasoning and coating and peppery. Oh, it was so good. I just wanted to sit and look at it for a minute. And the, the knife that they gave you to cut into it was a big, thick-handled, wooden, uh, manly feeling. Just eating, oh, man, it felt so good in your hands. Just cutting into a steaming dead animal with a big wooden steak knife. It was awesome. Oh, it was so good. And as I began to slice it off, I want to enjoy every bit of it, so I cut small strips off of it a little bit at a time as I ate it, and it was so good. And, and the plate was still hot, and it was simmering in the butter on, there, on the, the plate. Oh, it was so good. And as I thought to myself, I thought, man, I could probably eat two more of these steaks like this. This is so good. And then I began to think about, like, what kind of grill do they use back in the kitchen to, get, to cook it so evenly, so thoroughly? I think about the guy who prepared this steak. He probably got the order and goes, do people really eat their meat burnt like this? I guess so. And, and he began to, to cook it exactly how I wanted it cooked, and it was awesome. I began to think even like, what type of, of meat is this? You know, is this grass-fed beef? Where did it come from? You know, all these questions that I have in my mind. Never once did I stop and admire the quality of the plate that it was brought on. I didn't care. The plate just got it from the kitchen to my table so that I could enjoy it. I thought about a lot of things. I thought about the skill of the chef, the the cut of the meat. Uh, You know, could they get a bigger cow so I could get a bigger cut of this meat? I don't know how all that works. Uh, I began to think about like when I was going to come back and eat it, but never did I stop to think about the plate itself because the plate was just a means to get it from the kitchen to my table so I could enjoy it. Mary was never meant to be worshipped. Mary was never meant to be prayed to. She was never meant to be uh, venerated in any way whatsoever. She was simply a vessel that God used to get the Son of God to the world. That's it. And so that's where kind of her, uh, her uh, role stopped. Uh, she was never intended to be what the Catholic Church refers to as the mother of the church or co-redemptrix of mankind or anything like that. Mary was blessed because she was obedient. When the Bible says that she was highly favored, that word highly favored is the same word that we use throughout the Bible for the word grace. Simple as that. Uh, She was a recipient of God's grace, uh, just as many other people throughout the Bible were as well. So as we look at Mary, and while her story is unique, and while other things we can learn from Mary, Mary was just uh, a person like you and I. She was a sinner in need of a savior, 
And she even goes on to say later on that God was her savior. She did not, definitely didn't see herself as any type of savior as well. But the story of Mary is so unique and there's so much we can glean from it. Most Bible scholars would believe that the uh, time in which children, uh, the teenagers would be betrothed or engaged was generally in their uh, early to middle teen years. So most Bible scholars believe that Mary to be somewhere in the ballpark of anywhere from 14 to 16 years old uh, when she got the news from the angel that she would carry the Christ child. It's amazing that, uh, you know, you see Mary's faith throughout this and her willingness to be obedient to what uh, God has for. And as we uh, take a look at this passage this morning, if you want to jot down a few notes, I would encourage you to do that. But think of this, first of all, obedience is really a test of faith. When the angel came to Mary and says, Mary, you're going to bear the son of God. Mary had the opportunity to say, okay, I'm willing to do that. Or actually, no, I reject that. When it comes to God and his commandments to us, we always have two choices, obedience or disobedience, and those are really your only two options that you have. But it really comes down to, are you willing to trust God's promises? Do you believe that God's word is true? And I think most of us as Bible-believing Christians we would say, well, of course I believe that God's word is true. Of course I believe the Bible's true. Well, then our faith is backed up by our obedience. If you really believe it to be so, then you'll follow it. If you really believe God's word to be true, you'll follow the guidelines that it has. And when the angel came to Mary, again, if you take a look at verse number um, 38, Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, the servant of the Lord, look, here's the servant of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Whatever you said, bring it to pass, I'm ready. Now this lies in stark contrast to someone else who's found in Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one also tells us the story of a man by the name of Zacharias. Who, Zacharias was a priest and when he went into, into the temple, an angel appeared unto Zacharias and said to Zacharias, Zacharias, your wife Elizabeth is gonna carry a child even though she's very old and even though she's been barren, she's gonna give birth to a child as well and you're gonna name him John. Actually, let's just take a look at, you're in Luke chapter one already. Let's back up to verse number um, 13. Luke chapter one, verse number 13. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before the spirit and power of Elias to turn to the hearts of the Father to the children and the disobedient, to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zacharias, your wife's going to give birth to a kid, and he's going to be awesome. This would be the man we would know as John the Baptist. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the day he's born, from the womb, from before he's born, he's going to have the Holy Spirit. Now, this is unique in, in all of the Bible. If you look at the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and dwell with people for a certain period of time, generally based on the job that they had to do. If they were a ruler or a judge or a king, the Holy Spirit would be upon them and then the Holy Spirit would leave once they'd fulfill their roles and obligations. The Holy Spirit would come uh, for those who are saved in the book of Acts. You accept Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But John was gonna be unique in the fact that he would have the Holy Spirit from the womb. That's why the Bible tells us when Elizabeth and Mary got together. They were cousins. But as soon as Mary came and had the Christ child in her, the, the child in Elizabeth's womb leapt with joy because she knew that uh, the, the baby inside Elizabeth, John the Baptist, knew that the Christ was near because he had the Holy Spirit in him. Crazy stuff. 
babies having the Holy Spirit. Imagine that. Crazy, right? But that's what John was going to have. So Zacharias also receives a message from an angel that blew his mind the same way that Mary received a message from an angel that blew her mind. Here's the difference. Mary says, I don't understand it, but I believe it to be true. Zacharias said, yeah, right, prove it. Take a look at verse number 18. Zacharias said unto the angel, whereby shall I know this? In other words, how am I gonna know this is true? For I'm an old man and my wife is well stricken in years. Zacharias says, oh yeah, prove it. Show me. I don't believe it and I'll only believe it if you show me. And uh, the angel, verse number 19, the angel answering said unto him, I'm Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and I'm sent to speak unto thee and show thee these glad tidings. And behold, look out, if you want a sign, you got it. Thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in the season. Great, you don't believe me? You're not gonna be able to speak until the kid's born then. And so Zacharias walks out of the temple and can't talk. And people are like, dude, what's going on? And he's like, I can't talk. <laughs> like, like, I don't know if he was good at charades or not, but he got really, really good at it in the months ahead, right? But he said, I don't believe it, prove it. And he wanted a sign. That's the opposite of faith. Oftentimes in sharing my faith with people, uh, you know, and telling them about Jesus Christ, they, they say things like, I don't really believe that to be true. And, and I would believe it if God would show himself to me. If I could really sit down and talk with God, then I would believe. And I always tell them, no, you wouldn't. Because Jesus had people that he spoke with face to face and encouraged them to follow him and they rejected him to his face. They, they, they saw him and they still didn't believe. But here's the fact of the matter about faith. Faith does not require proof. Faith doesn't need to be validated. Faith doesn't need to be able to see it to believe it. That's where faith comes in. That's where faith begins to shine. You cannot become a child of God without faith. You cannot become a child of God unless you believe God's word to be true. The Bible says that we're all born into this world at odds with God. We've all sinned against God. The Bible says because of our sin, the consequences of our sin is death. Because we've sinned against God, we'll be separated from God forever in a place called hell. This is what we deserve. But God loves you, God loves me so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins so that all those who would have faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and come to him in repentance could be saved from their sin. So Jesus died in place of sinners and will save all those who believe on him. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should have everlasting life. So friend, you can't be saved apart from faith. You can't please God apart from faith. You can't live the Christian life apart from faith. And so if you're waiting for proof or validation in some way or another, you're probably not gonna get what you're looking for. Sometimes people say, well, you know, prove to me that God is real. Fact of the matter is, I can't. I'm just gonna be honest with you. And some people, that might sound blasphemous or even heretical that you cannot prove the existence of God. Hey, look, uh, the Bible says that we, God has showed himself to every man through creation. I believe we can look, look at creation. And if you're just being honest with yourself, you can say that everything that we have in the world today didn't just come out of nothing. The two rocks didn't bang together in outer space somewhere and then billions and billions of years later, here we are as fully functioning human beings the way that we are today. If you look at just the human body and the, the unique thing that is the human body, 
I was explaining to my daughter, McKeely, she had a fever uh, several weeks ago for a week, and uh, she did not have coronavirus, and, and so don't worry about that. But uh, she had a, 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 a temperature for a low-grade fever for a long time, and I said, we're gonna have to take you to the doctor and get you checked out. Now, crazy times that we're in today, uh, her primary care physician will not see you if you have a fever unless you first have a negative COVID test. Like, you can't even go to the doctor if you have a fever. That's how crazy things are. So end up taking her to the emergency room to, to uh, have her checked out. And so I explained to her, your body is so smart that when something's wrong, your body cranks up the temperature to kill off what's ever wrong in your body. And when that's dead, it cranks the temperature back down. And she says, so kind of like when you like cook meat to get the bacteria out? Absolutely, exactly like that. And she was like, that's crazy. How does your body know how to do that? Because God created us that way. And we began to talk about the human body and how much of a miracle and a marvel it is. Come to find out she had an ear infection that was lingering and she had thought it had gone away because we'd taken antibiotics for it, but it was still sticking around. It was causing just enough fever to cause her frustration. She felt fine, didn't have any symptoms, just had a low-grade fever for a long time. And that was her body's way of trying to get rid of infection. How fascinating is the human body? Can that really happen because two rocks in outer space bang together? I say no. But that's not going to prove the existence of God, the fact that my daughter got a fever from an ear infection. That doesn't prove the existence of God. We look at God's word and you take a look at the fact that the Bible is a supernatural book written by over 40 plus people over a period of a thousand years or so and it's all a cohesive book that never contradicts itself ever from cover to cover and people have tried for 2,000 years to discredit the Bible but it continues to stand because it is the word of God. But to some people it's just a book full of fables and so I can't prove that to you based on just the Bible itself. I can tell you the things that have happened in my life that I would consider supernatural, things that defied human logic and reasoning because of prayers that I prayed or people that I prayed with that I've seen God personally do with my own eyes that I would say is miraculous, but that wouldn't meet the test as far as proving to someone that God really exists. I can tell you of the peace that God's word has brought to my heart that in a time where I feel like everything in my life is falling down around me and there's just chaos and confusion around, there's a stillness inside of me and a peace that I have in the depths of my soul because God's spirit is real within my spirit. But that probably wouldn't meet the criteria for proof. You even go so far as to say, hey, we found tablets of stone in the Middle East that have on them carved commandments. And it looks like we might have found the Ten Commandments. We did radiocarbon dating with the latest science, uh, science equipment that we have, and we found these tablets meet the criteria for the timeline when Moses went up to Mount Sinai and got these stone tablets, and they're written with, not with tools of the type of tools that they had at that time, but I think we might have found the real Ten Commandments that were written by the hand of God. It would still take a measure of faith for us to believe that that is really the original Ten Commandments. Because everything in life comes down to faith. There's people who are so bold who say, well, I'm not into the whole faith thing. I'm more of a science and reason person myself. Really? Did you know that they don't teach out of the same science textbooks that they did when I was a kid? And that was just 30 plus years ago. You know why? Because those things aren't true anymore. If science is observable and repeatable and always true throughout all of human history, then why did we change science books? Why is Pluto no longer a planet anymore? If science is science and it never changes, we have certain planets that aren't planets anymore and maybe other galaxies that we once thought were galaxies that aren't anymore, if science never changes because science is really a matter of faith. You're putting your belief in a system. 
Even things like evolution, there's no proof for that. Where did man come from? Where did creation start? It's all a matter of faith. Either you believe God's account in the Bible or you believe man's account that he's come up with, but you put faith in something because nobody was there to see it happen. Sometimes in in sharing my faith, I even go so far is to tell people, hey, when they say things like, well, I really can't believe the Bible's true because I don't really know who wrote it or what they're trying to get at and stuff like that. And I'll ask them, who was the first president of the United States? George Washington. How do you know? Well, because my third grade teacher told me. Who was your third grade teacher? Oh, I, I don't know. Mine was Miss Guthrie. I remember her, Miss Guthrie, third grade teacher. She taught me the presidents of the United States. Where did Miss Guthrie go to college? I don't know. Who told her who the presidents were? I don't know. Well, there's books that outside of my third grade teacher that tell us that George Washington was the president, right? Who wrote those books? Well, there's a picture of George Washington kneeling in the snow at Valley Forge, praying to God. Of course, you know, who painted that painting? Well, I don't know. And was somebody really sitting there with, with an oil, oil palette and an easel as George Washington is kneeling? They said, hang on for just a minute. I'm almost done with the outline here. No, they didn't. That's a fabricated painting even. What if George Washington really wasn't the first president? There's this whole system set up to cause us to believe that he was. You say, well, pastor, that's kind of out there, isn't it? It's kind of out there that people would say that this book isn't true when there's evidence to the contrary. But at the end of the day, you and I are willing to put our faith in a history narrative that may not even be true because somebody said that it was, but yet people are unwilling to, at faith, accept God's word. What I'm trying to say is at the end of the day, it's all faith. Now, do I believe that there's a giant conspiracy theory about the first president of the United States? No, let me just say that. But I'm saying to believe it is George Washington is faith. You say, well, there's a lot of evidence to support that. Yeah, it's the same thing for the Bible. There's a lot of evidence that supports that, but at the end of the day, it's faith. So faith is a big deal. And obedience is a test of your faith. You really believe what you say you do, then you obey God and you'll obey his word. You see, true faith does, doesn't require proof. Here's what Jesus even said. Matthew chapter 12, verse number 39. People were really excited about seeing Jesus. Not because they wanted to hear truth, not because they wanted to hear that they needed to repent of their sin, not because they wanted to, to hear from the Messiah. People were really excited to see Jesus because he was healing lepers, healing blindness, healing deafness. He was, you know, taking some kid's lunch and spreading it out to 5,000 people at a time. And people were all excited about seeing Jesus. And when Jesus came to town, they didn't say, hey, teacher, teach us the ways of God. Teach us about the kingdom of God. They said, hey, show us a sign. Do something cool. Do a trick for us. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse number 39. But he answered and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall be no sign given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Hey, look, you're looking for a sign. I'm not going to give it to you. I'm not going to prove to you that I'm the son of God, except for one sign that I'm going to give you. And he says, it's the same sign that Jonah had. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so shall the son of man himself be buried in the earth for three days and then rise again of my own power. You want proof that I'm who I am? Just hang tight because resurrection day is coming. That'll be my proof. But Jesus says, you want a sign? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. It's also interesting to me that certain so-called Christians would say that the only proof that you have that you have the Holy Spirit is that you evidence it by signs, miracles, wonders, and speaking in tongues. 
Oh, you got the Holy Spirit, prove it for us. Show us a sign, show us a miracle, show us some wonder that you want to do. Jesus himself says that the signs are for those who don't believe. Uh, People who want a sign are unbelievers. You know why? Because Christians don't need proof. We take God at his word. And sometimes people say like, well, I'm just putting out a fleece to see if, uh, you know, God's answering my prayer or not. Don't tempt God and make God have to fit in your little box that you have. If he said it so, just take it at his word. Follow him by faith, follow him by obedience. Jesus says he stood with Thomas. We sometimes use the term doubting Thomas because after Christ was resurrected, Thomas heard that he was resurrected. He said, I won't believe it until I see it and touch it with my own eyes. And Jesus says, come on, Thomas, come here. Place your hand in my side. Place your hand in my hand and see what God's done. John chapter 20, verse number 29, Jesus said this to Thomas. He said, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you believe, but blessed are they who have not seen and have yet believed. (laughs) Thomas, it's really easy for you to believe in me because you saw it, but you know who the people that are really gonna be blessed are? The people who have never seen me, but yet they still believe. Christian, God wants you to walk by faith, not by what you can see. God doesn't want you to trust in what you've got tangibly that you can hang on to. He wants you to trust in the promises of his word. When God says do something, he just wants you to do it and not ask any questions, and not desire a sign or confirmation, just obey. It's interesting to note as well that obedience isn't always logical either. Mary kind of scratched her head and says, verse 34, how shall this be that I'm going to be pregnant seeing as I've never been with another man sexually before? That doesn't really make sense to me, God, but okay. I want to be very clear on this. It's never wrong to ask God questions. We get this idea sometimes that that devotion to God is just blind obedience and blind faith. We're just supposed to put our head down and do what we're supposed to do. I want to be very clear. It's okay to ask God questions as long as you accept whatever answer there is or isn't and as long as you continue to obey. Mary kind of scratches her head and says, Okay, I don't really know how this is going to work considering I've never been with a man before, but okay. Be it unto me according to thy word. Go for it. I'm game. This is very different from Zechariah who's like, yeah, right, prove it. My wife is old, she's barren, I'm old, prove it. Please don't test God that way. Please don't tempt God that way. When God speaks, just obey. Just, just be willing to take him at his word even when it isn't logical. Most people, when God brings them to a place of obedience or faith and maybe stepping outside of their comfort zone a little bit, whether it's a move to a new place or the type of church that we're gonna be a part of or something we're gonna get our kids involved in, sometimes we'll try to figure out what we should do and we'll pull out a sheet of paper and we'll draw a line down the middle and we'll make two columns, one called what? Pros and one versus cons. We begin to fill up that sheet of paper and then we use things like that to make our decision based on. Please understand this, faith is never logical. I love going through discipleship and sitting down with people and talking to them about living out their faith and how they're supposed to do that and you know, hey, you know, here's what Christians do and, and here's how Christians act and what if somebody does me wrong then you do them right? And like, that doesn't make sense. Of course it doesn't make sense. It's faith, it's Christianity. We talk about things like giving 
The tithe belongs to the Lord. The first 10% of everything you give, you give out of a first fruit offering to God, out of love and obedience and worship because God is faithful to you. Well, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like 10% of everything I get belongs to God? Yeah, actually 100% of everything you get belongs to God, 100%. But he only asks for 10% of it back. The other 90% is for you to steward and manage how you see fit. So I'm supposed to take 10% of everything that I get and give it to the Lord? Yes. Well, that doesn't make sense. I never said it made sense. I said it's what God requires of you. Well, I don't know how my budget's gonna work if that's the case. Then maybe you need to align your budget to be in obedience with God's word. And sometimes people will say, well, can I give less than 10%? Absolutely. But you can't do it obediently. You're free to do whatever you want. That's the great thing about God is he doesn't impose himself on anyone. He tells you what the standard is and you choose to either obey or disobey. You don't want to give God 10%? That's fine. Just give him whatever you got. And that would be disobedient. Don't give him anything. Here's the thing. God's not broke because of you. But he expects obedience from you. Because he knows obedience is the best way. Jesus says his commands are not grievous. But God doesn't want you to obey because he's trying to, to keep you from enjoying life or he's trying to, to create this difficult structure around you. But please don't try to reason obedience. Remember when God was calling our family here to, to Honolulu to plant a church here in the middle of the city? Logically, it just did not work out. You take the pros and cons of planting a church here in a city like Honolulu, it just didn't work out. You take a look at the pros side, pro, Bible preaching church in the heart of the city. Con side, 90% of church plants in America fail, 90%. That's a con. Cost of living in the city of Honolulu, second highest in the nation, only second to Manhattan, New York City. Con. Commercial real estate in the state, in, in the city of Honolulu, $15 a square foot. Rent. Con. What were the pros again? That, that list is really, really short. I sat down with a, a pastor here on the island of a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, and I was asking him for advice, asking him if his church would pray for us, asking them if they would help us financially as we were getting started. We had five people in our church, and it was all five members of my family. And he sat down with me and he said, hey, look, I'm just going to tell you, I don't know how much you know about church planning in Honolulu. I said, I don't really know a lot. I said, share. And he said, there's been 18 churches that have been planted in the last 20 years and not one of them made it. Not one. Okay? And he goes, it just doesn't make sense. And I said, I agree. And he says, I don't think you should do it. And I said, I disagree with that. And he said, look, these guys that have started these churches in, in, in town, a lot of them were better men than you. <laughs> okay, thank you. That's encouraging. And he said, if I were you, I would just, I would go somewhere that's a little bit easier, you know, and you might consider like the Philippines, you know, or Indonesia or somewhere like that. You know, and I said, well, I really believe God's called us here. And he said, okay. Well, I mean, we wouldn't help you out financially or anything like that. And he said, I'd, I'd really encourage you to reconsider. Thank you, God bless you. And he said, that was not encouraging. You know, and he said, you know, I hope you make it. Hmm, thanks. Put that on the con side over there, right? It just didn't make sense. But here's what I knew. I knew that God was calling us to this city. If God wanted us to start a church and he wanted it to, to flourish, he wanted the gospel to go forward, he was going to make it happen. Simple as that. So obedience isn't always logical. It doesn't always make sense. 
I love families in our church who have decided to, to stay here because of our church. doesn't make sense. It's not logical. We have one family in our church that retired from the military and bought a house here because they believe it's where God wanted them to be because of this church, not because they love Hawaii, but actually looked at moving somewhere that was cheaper, where they could, their retirement check would go farther, where maybe they didn't have to work as hard or as much or as many hours, where they could buy a piece of real estate, maybe retire there, but they decided to stay here because they believed in what God was doing through this church. There's families in our church who have left and gone to the mainland and then came back because they wanted to be a part of this church. That's faith, folks. They didn't do it because it made sense. They didn't do it because it was easy. They did it because it was where God wanted them to be and obedience isn't always logical. It doesn't always make sense. And here's the thing. Please understand this, that if you live a life that to an unsaved person looks like it makes a lot of sense, you're probably not living by faith. If an unsaved man can look at your life and go, well, that's, that makes sense, you're probably not living a life of faith the way that God intended it to be because faith often can't be reasoned in the moment. Yeah, it's easy to look back and go, yeah, that was a good call. Yeah, that was the right thing to do, but it's not so easy in the moment. Again, when we walked in this building for the first time when a real estate agent was showing us around it, I walked in the, the lobby and I said, there's no way in the world we can afford this. Like, at the time, we were looking at renting a school cafeteria. We were looking at renting a, a small space. And we walked in. I saw that lobby. And I said, there's no way we can afford this. I can't even afford the lobby, much less whatever's past the lobby. And she said, oh, I think we can work it out. And I was like, I don't, I don't see how that happened. It just doesn't make sense. I had some other pastors that had toured the, uh, for those of you that don't know, our main auditorium used to be where our super church is. That was our main auditorium in there. And uh, there were some pastors that came in, they were looking around, and I said, we probably make this the main auditorium. And I, said, and I kind of measured it out and did some rough guesses. And I said, we could probably sit 75 chairs in there um, comfortably. And one of the, the guys who was there laughed, and he goes, <laughs> it'll be five, 10 years before you have 75 people in church. He goes, you should probably put a wall up here and put some classrooms and stuff like that. He goes, you don't want an auditorium so big that it swallows everybody up in there. And I remember as he said that, I thought to myself, like, I was kind of like thinking big, like, man, maybe God would fill this up one day, but maybe you're right. And so we drew out like how we'd make classrooms in there and stuff like that. It came down to it. We were just broke and we didn't have money to put up a wall for classrooms, so we didn't. And the funny thing is, our very first Christmas Eve, we had people sitting in the lobby there. And guess what? God does the unreasonable when we obey him. And again, I'm not tooting our horn and saying how great we are. Look, we're just a bunch of average Joes who just followed what God said, and God did something awesome. Our story is not a story of the gifted people that God uses. Our, our story is the average, ordinary, um, ungifted people. If ungifted is even a word. I don't know. <laughs> average, ordinary folks that God wants to use to accomplish his will. And what's the thing that unlocks all that? Faith and obedience. Simple as that. <coughs> Faith is evidenced by wholly trusting in the promises of God. You know what's funny is you and I sometimes can believe some of God's promises, but not all of them. It's always interesting to me, sometimes Christians can, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that when this life is over, I'm gonna go to heaven because he's saved me and adopted me into God's family. I believe that. But I don't really believe that God knows what he's doing this week. <laughs> I'll trust God with my eternity, but the whole like next couple of weeks, I got this, and if I need help, I'll ask God for it. That's not wholly trusting God's promises. That's picking and choosing. We sometimes say that's cherry picking. I'll take this promise.
God gives of eternal life, but the idea that God is the creator and sustainer, I'm going to let that promise off to this side over there. The Bible says in the book of James, chapter 1, verse number 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given unto him. But if you ask of God, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. In other words, ask with full faith like you really believe that God can. For he that wavereth like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let a man not think that he shall receive anything of God. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. If I believe that God can do this, but he can't do that, then I don't fully trust the promises of God. And if I believe that God can do this, but he's not really going to do that, then the Bible says that I am double-minded. And then James takes it one step further. A double-minded man is unstable in most of his ways. Is that what he says? No, no. He's unstable in all of his ways. Your life is a mess. Your life is a wreck because you can't choose to truly, fully trust God. And sometimes we want selective obedience too. I want to obey God in this area, but not that area. I want to obey God this far, but not that far. Angela and I, when we first uh, walked with Jesus, we um, began to, to obey God in areas like church attendance. And we started going every time the, the church doors were open, we were there with our Bibles open ready. We began to obey the Lord in our giving. We put the tithe at the top of our budget. Every time we ever wrote out a budget in the history of our marriage, our giving to God was always line item number one. And rent was always subservient to our tithe. There were places where we lived below what we probably could have afforded because we wanted to tithe. There were times where we drove cars that were probably borderline unsafe because we wanted to tithe. We always want to put God first. And please let me help you understand this. God has always been faithful to that. Church attendance, tithing, I'm okay with. But there were other areas in my life that I really enjoyed, that I really liked, like the music that I listened to. God, you can have all that other stuff. I'm willing to be obedient to that. But this music over here, this is mine. This music over here has seen me through thick and thin. It's gotten me through me some difficult times. I got a lot of memories that are attached to this music here. When I was a single guy, I used to go to the mall at Cordova Mall every first uh, and 15th, and I'd buy CDs. I'd go through and begin to look at CDs. And I didn't want all the stuff that's on the end cap that everybody else is buying, all the garbage that's on the radio. I wanted to go like the indie section, like where nobody like buys this stuff. Like, ooh, I've never heard of that. I think I'll buy this. And I would buy five or six CDs I'd never heard a single song off of in my life and begin to listen to those. When we moved here, there's a Tower Records on K.A. Moku Street. I don't know how many remember the Tower Records. If you remember the Tower Records, raise your hand. Yes, there's five of us, right? KMOKU Street, right where there were the Walgreens, used to be Walgreens, is now gone. There was a Kentucky Fried Chicken, right beside that, there was a Tower Records there. And man, we used to go down to that one. There was also Tower Records up across from uh, Pearl Ridge as well. We used to go there, and man, I would buy five, ten CDs at a time. I mean, just, and stuff you'd never heard of, I'd never heard of. And I loved music. You might say that music was an idol in my life. And there was music that I listened to that did not honor and please the Lord, but I liked it. It made me feel good. It, it jived with where I was at in life. And I just said, hey, I'm willing to obey God in these areas, but this area here is mine. God, you're welcome in my house, but just not this room over here. I'm going to close that door. That That's my room in there. You don't get to touch any of that stuff. And let me just tell you this. You'll never find God's blessings when you're not willing to walk in submission and obedience. You're just not. 
So I was willing to be selective in my obedience to the Lord, but I'm telling you, one time I heard a message, and the message was not on music, and the message wasn't giving up idolatry or anything like that. It was just one of those that God just spoke to me about the music that I was listening to. I don't know if you've ever heard a message before that they didn't even come remotely close to the issue, that, that it, but it just like hit you over the head like a ton of bricks, like, I gotta fix this. We went home that night, and I got boxes, and I started loading up boxes of CDs and dumping them in the the blue bin outside and more and dump them in the bin. And he's like, are you going to throw all that away? All of it. I probably, I don't know, five, $6,000 worth of music. And I just tossed all of it. And she was like, well, you could like put that in a yard sale and sell it. This was back before the days of Craigslist and Facebook marketplace. You could like yard sell that stuff. You could get, like if you sold that for a dollar a CD, we give it. And I said, here's the thing. If I don't need it, nobody needs it. And I just tossed all of it. And there's never been a single day in my life that I think to myself, man, I wish I had all that stuff back. I wish I could go back and get all that. You know why? Because obedience never has regrets. I followed the Lord. I did what he told me to do, and and I'm a better person because of it. And so as we walk in obedience, it doesn't always make sense. You can't always reason it out, but you have to be willing to trust God. And also, at the end of the day, obedience isn't concerned with the results either. Mary didn't ask, you know, well, what does this exactly mean for all of us? Well, what's the end goal here of this? She just says, God, if this is what you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. There's another woman in Scripture by the name of Hannah. And I think Mary was probably familiar with Hannah's story because we find Mary, at the end of this, praises God in a way that almost word for word some passages of what Hannah did in in 1 Samuel. But Hannah had taken her child that she had prayed for, and she told God, God, if you give me this son, I'm going to give him back to you, and he'll serve you all the days of his life. And I want a son that I can give to you. And so Hannah did. She gave birth to a child. Once Samuel was weaned, she took him to the temple, and she dropped him off and left him. And went back once a year, would make him a little coat, and take him back to him once a year to visit him. But she dropped him off. So here's what I imagine Mary, like, Okay, I'm going to give a birth to this child, but like, are me and Joseph supposed to raise this kid? Like, who's going to pay for it? I don't really understand where this is going. I don't understand how all this works out. I'm not really understanding what all the terms and conditions of this agreement are. She didn't say any of that. She just says, okay. Doesn't really make sense to me, but I'm willing to obey. I don't really know what the end state is here. I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I'm willing to give it a shot because this is what you ask of me. That's what obedience looks like. Obedience allows us to see the mighty works of God. Obedience allows us to see what God can do. You see, when you and I work, we're only going to see the culmination of the work that you and I can actually accomplish. But when God gets involved, we begin to see the mighty works of God. Mary didn't realize, but at the time when the angel first appeared into her, exactly what all this meant. You're going to have a son, you're going to call his name Jesus. Okay, he's going to be the son of God. Oh, okay. He's going to sit upon the throne of David and his kingdom will last forever. Oh, okay. And again, I'm not sure how well versed Mary was in the Old Testament scriptures, but if she knew anything about the Old Testament, she would have known Oh, the throne of David, like that promise you made to David that his kingdom would last forever. This is it. Oh, okay, I get it. That Davidic covenant we talked about last week. Yeah. Oh, got it. 
So Mary, by being willing to say to God, God, I'll do it. Whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do it, is part of God's unfolding plan for the redemption of mankind. That's pretty big. And you say, well, I would be willing. I mean, if God came to me and told me that I could be a part of the redemption of mankind, I mean, I'd be willing to do it. Guess what? He did. When he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, God included you as part of his sovereign plan for the redemption of mankind. He's invited you to be a part. And some of us are like, no, I get kind of weirded out talking to people about the Bible. Oh, okay. So it's disobedience for you. Well, you know, the whole like evangelism thing is not really my thing. Okay, got it. So disobedience is your thing. Well, I'm not really that good at it. Nobody asked how good you were at it. Are you willing to obey or disobey? God didn't come to Mary and said, Mary, you're going to give a birth to the Christ child. And she said, I never had kids before. I'm not really that great of a mom. I don't really know how all this is going to work out. She was just willing to obey. Can you imagine Mary if she were a teenager in 2020? Mary, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. I don't even have health insurance. Where where am I going to give birth at? You know, is there going to be... Midwife, is there going to be a birthing center for me? Can I hire somebody to take professional photos we can put on Instagram later? Like, she, she didn't ask any of those questions. No, you're going to give birth amongst a bunch of animals in a stall in the dirt around people that you don't know in a place that you're not from. And strangers are going to show up with gifts and it's going to be totally awesome. Oh, okay. I'm good with that. Again, obedience unlocks God's mighty works. Faith allows us to be a part of God's sovereign plan. If God is unfolding a story that exists from eternity past to eternity future, you and I get to be a part of that story. And our obedience allows us to be deeply involved in the advancement of the kingdom of God throughout human history. Look, nobody's going to write a book one day and tell the history of a group of Christians in Honolulu that really believed God and and believed that he could. Nobody's ever going to do a documentary on our church and as one of the fastest growing churches in America. I might be on the cover of a magazine for the best looking pastor in America. I don't know, but... (laughs) I was just checking to see if you're still awake, and some of you are, thankfully. But look, we will never receive the fame and accolades of this world, and that's okay. But we will be a part of a story throughout eternity that is told of God's faithful, obedient children that he redeemed for himself. There will be people in heaven one day because of the work that you and I have done together. That's what matters. Faith allows us to be a part of that. Obedience allows us to be a part of that. It's God's story that he's writing and we get to be a part of it. Or you get to say, no, I'm cool. I'll show up a couple of Sundays a month and sing some songs and try to stay awake. I'm cool with that. Then you're going to miss out on being able to be a part of what God wants to do. You're going to miss out on seeing the mighty works of God. You know, the funny thing is we see a lot of church attendance across the nation. 
But again, I shared the statistic last week. The average Baptist church in America last year baptized two people. Hmm, that's embarrassing. Two. That means for every church that baptized four, there's a church somewhere that baptized zero. It means for every church that baptized six, there were two churches that didn't baptize anybody. That's embarrassing. And look, if these are amongst what churches define themselves as born-again Christians, I can only imagine what other apostate churches across the world think that they're doing for, quote, the kingdom. But look, we get to be a part of a mighty moving of God. We've seen hundreds of people discipled in their faith at Hui Kala. We've seen hundreds of people come to faith and accept Jesus Christ as Savior here at Hui Kala. We've seen a couple hundred people baptized in the history of our church. That's huge. God's not doing that at every church in America, but God's doing it here because we have people who believe that God can and are willing to obey his clear commandments. And God begins to do supernatural works amongst his people. Don't miss out on that. It comes down to obedience. Obedience is a matter of submission and lordship. Obedience is a matter of, am I willing to submit? So many times we have our own hopes, dreams, goals, aspirations that we hold in our hands that we say, no, this is mine. We make a list for God of the things that we want to do. Here's where I want to live. Here's what kind of house I want to live in. Here's where I want my kids to go to school. Here's what kind of car I want to drive. Here's what kind of job I want to do. Here's how many hours I want to work a week. Here's where I want to retire. Here's where I want to go on vacation. God, would you bless this? And then when something in our plan gets messed up, we get mad at God like it's his fault. Let me help you understand something. God is not Santa Claus where you turn in your Christmas list and then on Christmas morning, everything's there exactly the way you thought that it would be. God is a loving father who gives you what you need and what's best for you. And look, if my kids ask for a car, like a real car on Christmas, I wouldn't be a good dad to have a car sitting in the driveway with a big bow on it. You know why? Because it's not what they need. I want to give them what they need like socks and underwear and practical things, right? That's <laughs> terrible. I always hate that, right? You, well, you needed pajamas, son, and so, well, I know I need pajamas. Does that have to be a Christmas gift? Come on. But as a loving father, you want to give your kids what they need. And God, as a loving father, doesn't give you what you want. He gives you what you need. And when it comes down to obedience, it's really just a matter of submission. God, my plans are over to the side. What do you want? You know, we, we, we do our kids wrong when we ask our kids the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do with the rest of your life? Where do you want to go to college? What do you think would be fun? And we need to ask a better question. What would God have you do with the rest of your life? What do you feel like God wants you to do? How do you feel like you could advance the kingdom with your life? Unless somebody go, well, you're just trying to push kids into being missionaries and pastors. No, no, no. Can you bag groceries at Foodland and advance the kingdom of God? Absolutely. If that's what God's called you to do, go for it. Do it with tenacity and passion. My son Vanderlei works at the mall at Marshall's. And they're looking at him for an advancement into a position where he would be the youngest person to ever hold this position in the history of their company. Why? Because he shows up to work on time. He doesn't cuss. He doesn't come in smelling like booze and weed. He doesn't call out sick when he's not really sick. And he does what they ask him to do. 
And people go look and go, whoa, this is management material right here. Really? <laughs> like back when, back when I was younger, you just did your job. Wow, okay. But here's the thing. He has an opportunity where he's out to advance the kingdom, working a retail job at the mall as an 18-year-old kid. I went in there yesterday to, to Marshall's, and I was getting checked out, and the girl at the checkout counter had attended our church three weeks ago because she got invited by Interlay. I said, hey, we missed you at church. Hope things are good. She's like, I've been really busy. I'll be back soon. Good. And you know what it is? Somebody who's just working a job trying to advance the kingdom. I love that. So again, the idea that we need to teach our children, or even teach ourselves that advancing the kingdom means that we've got to be a pastor or a missionary or an evangelist or a Christian school teacher, that just isn't real. God has put you somewhere where you are uniquely valuable to the kingdom. Grow there. Be obedient there. Fulfill your purpose there. Now look, if Jesus is Lord, he's our master. That's what lordship means. Angela, when we first started walking with Jesus, we didn't really know a lot. I knew a lot of stories about the Bible. I didn't know what it meant to walk with Jesus. And we were in a, a church that was preaching the Bible. And every time we heard the Bible preached, when we were encouraged and challenged to do something. I remember there was a message one night on obedience. And I remember Angela and I knelt and, and prayed that night. And I held her hand and I, I said, let's pray. And I said, I don't really know what to say or what to pray. And I just said, God, whatever you tell us to do from here on out, we're just going to do it. Amen. That was it. Simple prayer. No big words. No, thou gracious, gracious and merciful heavenly Father, we beseech thee therefore before thy throne of grace this hallowed eve. None of that, just simple prayer. God, whatever you tell us to do, we're just going to do it. I didn't realize that that decision would change the trajectory of the rest of our lives. And obedience does that. It really does. It changes the rest of your life. Because when God began to work in our hearts about going to Bible college and preparing for serving God with the rest of our lives, it was kind of a no-brainer. Hey, this is what God told us to do. We're going to do it. When it became a matter of putting our kids in Christian school. We found a good Christian school that we could afford. It was a stretch, but we could afford it. It was a no-brainer because we felt like it's what God wanted us to do. And whatever God told us to do, we're just going to do it. It became a time in our life where we had to homeschool our kids. What God wanted us to do, so we're going to homeschool. <laughs> we're not a good homeschool family. Still not a good homeschool family. But it's what God told us to do, so we're just going to do it. And I remember, I man, it's probably going on about nine years ago or so now that God began to work in my heart about coming back to Honolulu and planning a church. We were living in California at the time. We bought our first and only house we've ever owned in California. It's at the end of a cul-de-sac. It's 3,000 square feet, had a big, huge yard and a three-car garage, and it was awesome. We had bought the kids a basketball goal. We put in the backyard. We bought a dog because we're going to live here forever, kids. This is it. I remember telling our kids, like, this house is our forever house. That, like, when, when you guys have a family, you'll one day come back and have Thanksgiving at this table. And you'll always remember this, you know, forever. And then God began to do a work in our, our hearts, coming back to Honolulu and planting a church. And I remember one night after church, I told Angela, I said, hey, we got to talk about something. And we went in the bedroom and put the kids to bed and uh, sit down and talked. And I said, hey, I really feel like God wants us to go back to Honolulu and plant a church in the city. She sat there for a moment and she said, how sure are you? 100%. And she said, 
have you fasted and prayed about this? And I said, for the last 90 days. And she said, you're sure, 100%. And she said, okay. And she got up and she walked out. I was like, well, that did not go well. <laughs> I think she probably like went to throw up or something. She'll be back in a minute because it was a lot. She didn't come back. I was like, oh, this is not good at all. So I go and I find her and she's, she's walking around our house with a yellow legal pad. And I go, what are you doing? And she goes, I'm trying to figure out what we're going to get rid of and what we can actually take with us. I go, hold up, we're not like leaving this weekend or anything. Like, just dial it back. And she's like, no, I just want to be prepared. Sweetheart, we're, we're like, I'm not talking like now, I'm talking like way on out. One of these days, like, I feel like it's what God wants us to do. I said, do you want to sit down and talk about this? And she said, sweetheart, what is there to talk about? Like, you said you're 100%, so it's kind of a done deal. I said, well, I want to hear what you think. She said, I think we need to be, here's the word, obedient. Man, I don't know what that would do to you, but it increased my faith. Like, yeah, obedience. Because if you're 100% sure of something, the only other option is disobedience. If I know for sure God wants us to do this and we don't do it, the only other option is disobedience. And if Jesus Christ is Lord, he's the master. That's what the word Lord means. When I was a little guy, I thought Lord was Jesus' first name, Jesus was his middle name, and Christ was Joseph and Mary's last name. Lord Jesus Christ. No. The word Lord means master, boss, calls the shots. The word Jesus literally means Yahweh or Jehovah saves. God is salvation. And the word Christ means he's the Messiah, the promised one that can save the world from their sins. And it's funny, sometimes we want Jesus Christ to be our Savior, but we're not really ready to let him be Lord. That means he's the master. It means when he says something, you just do it. You don't question it. You don't get to say, eh, I really wasn't thinking of it that way. That's why when Mary says, behold, look, the handmaid, the servant of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word, whatever you say, you got it. I'm just a servant of the Lord. Jesus says in, Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Turn over to Luke 6 if you would. We talk about obedience. And you make a decision to serve Jesus, you got to do it on his terms. You don't get to make up your own terms and conditions of following Jesus. He sets those. He tells us what he expects from us. Luke chapter 6, verse number 46. Jesus is given a long passage of scripture. He's preaching. He's letting people have it. In verse 39, he says, can Luke 6, 39, can, can a blind lead the blind? They'll both fall into a ditch. Verse 41, hey, if you see something in your brother's eye, make sure that you got nothing in your own eye. 43, he says, can a good tree bring forth good and evil fruit? No, fruit's known of its free, of its, uh, of tree's known of its fruit. Verse 46, he kind of pauses in the middle of everything. He goes, hold on for a second, guys. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things that I say? Huh. You keep saying that word, Lord. I don't think that word means what you think it means. For those of you that got that joke, shame on you. You keep saying, Lord, Lord, but that, you don't even follow what I say. And sometimes we, we take that verse and go, oh, Jesus is talking about being Lord. Yeah, but then you forget about the rest of the context of the passage. Here's what he says. Verse 47, whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I'll show you who he's like. 
He's like a man which built a house. He digged deep and laid a foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently on that house, it could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man without a foundation that built a house on the earth that when the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. We teach our kids in Sunday school. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And then the rains came tumbling down, and the house on the rock stood firm. And then they go through the foolish man. Everybody loves to go splat. And then the last verse, to build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we teach our kids that the foundation, the rock that we build our life on is Jesus. And look, I ain't going to argue with that message. It's a good message. But that is not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying build your life on me. He says, build your life on my obedience. That's the rock. Hey, the guy that hears what I says and actually obeys, let me tell you what he's like. He's like the guy who built a house on a solid foundation that when the rains came, it stood firm. But the guy who knew what to do but didn't do it, the disobedient one is like the one who built his house upon the sand. And when the rains came, it fell. And here's what he says at the end of verse 49. And the ruin of the house was great. Hey, look, you don't want Jesus to be Lord. You want to call your own shots. You want to do your own thing. You want to disobey. Feel free to do that. But let me tell you how it ends. It ends badly. And when it ends, great will be the destruction of your house. Guaranteed. So choose, but choose wisely. So obedience is always the best path. Final thought. When we follow the Lord, when we obey, it fills us with joy. Go back to Luke chapter 1. Verse 46, Mary's gone to see Elizabeth, her cousin, who has John the Baptist inside her, and Mary's carrying the Christ child. you got two moms-to-be that are carrying two of the greatest men in all of the Bible. And Mary begins to praise God, verse number 46 through 55. I won't take time to, to read all this, but we sometimes refer to this, and maybe if your Bible breaks things out by categories and gives titles over the talk, sometimes referred to it as Mary's song. Maybe she sang it, maybe she didn't, but this is just a section of praise for her where she said, verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. So again, verse 47, the idea that Mary ever thought of herself as any type of redeemer just isn't true because she confesses that God is her Savior. He's regarded the low state of his handmaiden, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, for he that is mighty hath done these great things, and holy is his name. His mercy is on them who fear him from generation to generation. He showed his strength with his arm, he scattered the proud of the imagination of their hearts, and she goes on and just praises God. You know what? The obedient heart can praise God. God, I did exactly what you asked me to do, and you've been faithful, you've been good. You know, the song that Mary sings here is very closely related with this song that Hannah sings in 1 Samuel chapter 2 after she's given her child to the Lord. Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse number 1, 
Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoiceth in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over my enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There's none as holy as the Lord. There's none beside thee. Neither is any rock like our God. And she goes on to praise God. And many Bible scholars draw a correlation between Hannah's praise and Mary's praise. And you, what do you got? You got a couple of moms that are praising God for his faithfulness, but you know what you have? You have two ladies who chose to be obedient. And they found a lot of joy there. Look, if you follow the Lord and you obey what he tells you to do, at the end of the day, you can step back and say, hey God, I just did what you told me to do. And you can rest in knowing that you're obedient. Hey God, I did what you told me to do. And if you raise your kids to follow after Jesus and love the Lord, and when they get old, they decide to walk away from their faith, you can step back and say, hey, I did everything you told me to do. The rest is up to you. And the Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go when they're old, they'll not depart from it. And, and God says that he's going to continue to look after them. It's a promise from God's word. You can step back and say, hey, I did the right thing. But if you didn't obey, you don't have that same level of peace. If you don't obey, the only thing you have is regret, disappointment, a wish for a do-over. If you didn't raise your kids to love Jesus, if you were duplicitous, you acted one way on Sunday and you acted another way the other six days of the week and your kids saw that. You made your kids go to church and listen, but you didn't listen yourself. You taught your kids about obedience, but you were disobedient yourself. And your kids go up and are rebellious. You've got no peace there. Now you're, you're reaping what you sowed. Now you only have regret and disappointment and discouragement. But when you do things God's way, you can say, hey, I did this the right way. I've known guys before that are in the process of losing their job. And I say, hey, did you do things the right way? I did. Did you honor the Lord? I did. Good. He's going to take care of you. And there's a peace there. But when you disobey and you're rebellious against God, there's no peace to be found there. There's only disappointment, regret. And if you're a child of God, there's chastening there. <laughs> God's going to correct you to bring you back into a right relationship with him and obedience. But when we can rest in obedience, Mary can say, I don't really know how all this is going to work out, but I know that God's in charge. Mary didn't say, well, I've never raised kids before. I don't really know how to do this. She just trusted the Lord. And can you imagine God coming to you and saying, you're going to give birth to the, the Christ child? Can you imagine the type of questions that you would have? Like, the first two kids that we had, we bought the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. And I, re I read that. I'm just like, what in the world? Oh, this is terrible. <laughs> and then the, you have to go to the classes that they force you to go to. You got to sit through. It's like, hey, we already got kids. We really have to go to the class. You do. I have to sit and watch these videos. And I almost passed out every single time I watched those videos. Oh, I couldn't handle it. Could not handle it. But then they say, you know, does anybody have any questions? And there's always those people who are like, what do you do when your baby won't stop crying? It's like, oh, my goodness. First-time parents, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, there's no one thing that you can do for kids who cry a lot. Yeah, no kidding. Do we really have to listen through this? Mary and Joseph were first-time parents. They didn't know anything about anything. They were probably teenagers. Mary didn't get it all. But you know what she said? I'm in. 
I don't understand it, but I believe it to be so. And you, Christian, this morning might say, I don't really understand all of the Bible. That's okay. Just obey the parts that you do understand. I don't really know a lot about, you know, end times and eschatology and prophecy. Great, that's fine. Just obey the things that you do know. I don't really know, you know, how to raise godly kids. Good, just obey the things that you do know and learn the things that you don't. It's fine. Obey the Lord. There's hope that's found in obedience and following God's word every single time. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, you're not 100% sure if you died today, heaven is your home. Please don't leave here today without knowing for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. For those of us that are saved, if there's an area of your life that you're not being obedient, please repent of it today. Make it right with God and follow him. You might say, you know, I believe God, I'm obeying God, but my faith is struggling. Good, would you ask God to increase your faith and increase your obedience as well? But at the end of the day, if we do what God tells us to do, we can sit back with a lot of peace going, hey, God, you're in charge. You're gonna have to work this out. There's even been times in Angela and I's life where we obeyed the Lord, did what he told us to do, and then we felt like we'd gotten ourselves in a bad spot just by obedience. I know when things like that happen, when you find yourself in a bad spot, but you were really obeying God, you know what you can say to God? Hey, God, we just did what you told us to do. You're gonna have to get us out of this mess. And God says, oh yeah, I got this. You obeyed. And I want to honor that. And God does every single time because there's hope found in obedience. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.